It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone, it's your host Edward Ford and welcome to the Growth of Podcast brought to you by growth marketing agency Advanced B2B. Advanced B2B helps B2B SaaS businesses generate sustainable revenue growth through marketing. So if you're looking for an agency partner who will help you get measurable results from your marketing, then check out advancedb2b.com for more info. Now joining us today on the show is Matt Epstein, CMO at Ripplink, and we're talking about why SaaS marketing is broken and how you can get more creative. Now, Rippling is an employee management platform, and it recently made Forbes' next billion startup list. Before Rippling, Matt was the first employee and head of marketing at Zenefits, where he led a team of 20 marketers and helped grow the company from zero to 60 million ARR in just three years. Now, Matt is also not known for doing things traditionally, and in this episode, he breaks down a bunch of his creative marketing exploits, and we hear about things like his outbound pizza party campaign, the time their marketing team got a cease and desist order from a competitor following a billboard campaign where their general counsel replied with a poem written in iambic pentameter, and how Matt spent almost all his life savings on a campaign to land a job at Google. So creativity is at the heart and soul of Rippling and its marketing team, and we hear more about their marketing philosophy, how they test and perfect messaging with outbound campaigns, and how they slashed 50% of their marketing budget, but still got 80% of the demos. So strap yourself in, and here we go with episode number 52 of the Growth of Podcast with Matt Epstein, CMO at Rippling. Welcome to another episode of the Growth of Podcast, and it's my pleasure to welcome Matt Epstein to the show, who is CMO at Rippling. So Matt, thank you so much for joining us today here on the Growth of Podcast. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I think this should be a fun one, as today we're talking about the fact that SaaS marketing is broken and how you can get more creative with your marketing. So I think to kick things off, why is SaaS marketing broken? Yeah, so, you know, there's a lot of different functions within marketing. Um, but I think today what I'm going to talk about um, is the growth side of marketing. I think, I think because when it comes to growth in particular, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's broken, um, but I do think that there are a lot of marketing teams out there that are you know, really using the same playbook, and which I guess you, can, you could in a way say is a bit broken. Yeah, and as you said, a lot of SaaS marketing teams do use the same playbook. You see companies using the same, same kind of tactics and, and so forth. So how do you do things at Rippling then? Can you give us a sneak peek into how you approach marketing? Um, I could definitely talk through our philosophy and then we can get into specific examples um, if you want. So I think, you know, again, I think what I've seen in the past or what I see with other teams is they, they kind of go down this checklist um, of all, you know, sort of the standard channels. We're going to do AdWords. We're going to do Facebook. We're going to do quote unquote content. Um, but the thing that I've, you know, sort of experienced at Rippling and at, at Zenefits, um, you know, where, where that company got, got quite big as well, is that in order to achieve abnormal growth, you really have two options. So you can either fish in the same pond as everyone else, you know, fish in those channels like AdWords or Facebook, but you have to fish in that pond in just a completely new and, and different way than everyone else fishing in that pond, or... Your other option is just to go fishing in a completely new pond, a pond that no one else is fishing yet. 
a channel that no one else in your space has really tapped into. Um, and so, you know, an example of that is, is when MailChimp, just because we're on podcasts, you know, MailChimp, I think, was really one of the first B2B SaaS companies doing podcasts. They had their podcast on Serial. And then, you know, they had that hit ad, had the, the MailChimp ad, um, where if you're not sure what that is, you should Google it. Um, but that's a good example of fishing in a new pond. Um, and so here at Rippling, whenever we do anything on the growth side, you know, we always ask ourselves, how can we fish in this pond in a totally new way? Um, or how can we find a new pond uh, altogether? Um, and happy to talk through examples of that. Because I think, you know, just to put a finer point on this, I think a lot of marketing teams end up doing neither of those because it's just really hard to do. Um, and I think, you know, really in the end, the only things worth doing are the hard things, the things that you have to fail a hundred times at in order to get to work, because those are the things that often, you know, lead to, to 10x growth. Yeah. So can you share which ponds you're fishing in that others aren't or how you're fishing differently in, in some of those more common ponds? Sure. So let's, um, you know, we'll, let's take direct mail just as, just as an example. Um, at, at my last company, we sort of took a step back and, and asked ourselves, what is sort of one of the main problems with direct mail? Um, you know, what is everyone doing so that when, you know, everyone's zagging, we can be zigging. And we, we tested all types of stuff, Amazon cards, all, all of, you know, all of these kind of, uh, uh, I think, standard things, and eventually thought outside the box and thought it would just be kind of funny um, if we create a brochure that just said, throw this brochure away. That, that's all it said on the cover was just white cover, throw away this brochure. <laughs> because how often do you receive direct mail where someone says, you know, throw away my direct mail, please? And then you opened it and it said, you know, unless, and then it kind of went into the pitch and that, that actually ended up working quite well for us. Um, here, here at Rippling, uh, a recent thing we did that actually failed quite miserably, but I, I still love the idea. <laughs> and we got, we got a few shout outs for it was we sent people uh, a pizza box. So it was a literal pre-constructed pizza box, you know, one like you get out, you know, if you went to uh, Domino's or Pizza Hut, not, not sure which camp you're in. Um, but you would open the pizza box and inside we had, you know, a handwritten note that said, you know, hey, Jane, um, you know, yes, this pizza box is empty, but it's full of potential. Um, and then we went into, you know, the rippling pitch <clears throat> and we got a bunch of people, you know, giving us sort of uh, giving us uh, some kudos for, for the creativity ultimately didn't work, but that's OK because, you know, we're, we're OK with failing. Um, we also tried sending people uh, a poem. Um, pitching the product as a direct mail piece. Um, those are kind of two examples that ended up not working, but you know, those were just two out of 10 ideas of which one did end up working, which um, as much as I'd love to share it, I'd prefer to keep our, our secret sauce a secret. Yeah. And I think uh, another thing that's really interesting is that you actually cut a significant portion of your marketing budget earlier this year, around 50%, but you still got about 80% of your demos. So making this kind of decision will certainly force you to get more creative. So can you talk us through this process of what you did? Yeah. So we, we, we made that change because of COVID. I mean, we did that almost immediately once we heard about COVID. And in fact, we did it, um, excuse me, we did it, I'm pretty sure, you know, well before everyone else. And we were able to do that. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into, I think the nitty gritty, because that's actually unique for a pretty boring story. Um, but the two things I'll mention is that we were able to do that. We were able to, you know, cut our budget by 50%, maintain, you know, most of the revenue that we were generating, which is a, a pretty drastic cut to make. 
we were able to do that um, really within hours to understand what we needed to tweak channel by channel um, because we invested from marketing operations, uh, 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 or we invested in marketing operations from day one. Um, so, you know, our, our marketing ops was our first hire here at Rippling. Um, marketing operations was my first hire at Benefits, and marketing operations is the first hire that I recommend every marketing team make, at least, you know, B2B SaaS. <clears throat> um, and really the, the, the reason for that, and the reason I always recommend that, uh, that first hire, I mean, there's actually quite a few, which we can get into if you want. Um, but one is that good marketing operations allows you to create a marketing waterfall and see exactly where your leads are coming from um, and at what cost. <clears throat> um, and we were able to do that, you know, with, with plus or 10 minus percent accuracy really within our first year and a half. Um, and so when COVID hit um, and became a thing, we, again, we were able to within hours go channel by channel and decide what campaigns to cut, what tweaks to make. Um, and had we not invested in marketing operations from day one, that would have been a nearly impossible exercise. Cause I think, I think people have rough, you know, rough idea of, well, AdWords is, you know, completely unprofitable, but let, let's cut it off. That gets a lot harder when you have to go into channels that are working and to, you know, really tweak campaign by campaign by campaign, um, to make that kind of change. I think it was interesting. You mentioned about the, the first hire on the marketing ops side, but are there any other positions uh, that you would also hire for early on when, when building up a marketing team? Yeah. So believe it or not, we, I, I believe, don't quote me on this, but I'm, I'm fairly sure, you know, at Zenefits, we got to our first 10 million ARR, excuse me, 10 million ARR with just two people, me and a marketing ops person and marketing ops, just to, just to wrap that up, you know, is not only important for attribution and understanding, um, you know, if I'm spending a dollar, am I getting a dollar 50 back? Um, the other important uh, part of, of marketing operations is really all of the email uh, and operational execution. And also that that person early on can also help implement Salesforce. And between, you know, Salesforce, Marketo, um, and email automation, marketing operations is what allows, you know, when we do come up with these crazy ideas, marketing operations is the function that makes it possible. Um, the second hire I would recommend after that, so, uh, you know, let's say you have a marketing operations person, I think your, your first or second hire should then be a Swiss army knife, a, a, a jack of all trades, master of none, who can actually help create um, and launch a lot of these campaigns. <clears throat> um, so at, you know, at Zenefits, I, and, you know, uh, I was the first, first designer, first sales rep, first marketing person alongside marketing ops uh, here at Rippling. It was marketing ops and me, and I was that, you know, that second hire, uh, that Swiss army knife. Um, and then the, the third hire um, after that um, is, I would say, a product marketer. Um, and with those three people alone, you should be able to get quite far because you can rely on agencies for everything else, paid advertising, press. And with those three hires alone, I think you can get pretty far before you, you know, you uh, put your foot on the pedal and, and grow even faster. Yeah, I think that's really good advice and makes a lot of sense for particularly early stage companies who are building out the marketing function. And I think another thing I'd, I'd love to ask is that you also use iterative outbound campaigns as a way to test and perfect your messaging. So can you talk us through this process and explain a little bit about how you do that? Yeah. I end up seeing a lot of marketing teams spend, you know, months agonizing over messaging, whether it's sort of the messaging for the, the entire company, you know, the positioning for the company or, or a product launch. And um, they, you know, 
They spend months researching, talking to customers, debating internally. Um, but there's actually a much faster uh, way to, I think, land on messaging that works and do it in a much more sort of scientific way. Um, and that is to A-B test it with paid advertising. Um, so if you look at basically AdWords, um, you know, PPC, display ads, and Facebook ads, that is essentially an incredibly cheap way to test what is really billboards. And a billboard is just, you know, three to five words that you can use to just sort of capture someone's attention. Um, uh, and so, you know, what I did at uh, my last company, Zenefits, what I'm doing, what I did when I, as soon as I got here at Rippling was I just spent, you know, months basically just testing, you know, three to seven words on AdWords, Facebook display ads. And what you'll, you'll find um, is that, you know, you eventually find a just sort of a, a core idea, core message that just performs 3x better than the rest. And that's how you know when, when you're on to someone, uh, when you're on to something, excuse me. Um, and so once you sort of have, you know, those, those, let's call it maybe three sort of uh, uh, core ideas um, that appeal to people, you know, those three to five words that capture people's attention, then you can expand on that idea or on that message through really uh, two mediums. So, so email, email is a great way to sort of expand on those five words and pitch people um, that, you know, in, in a longer form format, that sort of core idea. And then in addition, um, you know, if, if you're very early on, like I was at, at Zenefits and I was at here at Rippling, actually like at both companies, I hopped on sales calls and actually sold people. And it's through the act of pitching, because I think every great marketer should also be a great salesperson, that you can, you know, you can sort of keep refining and refining that, that core idea until you eventually land on something that just, you know, statistically is superior. Um, so, for instance, you know, I think on, on email, you know you have the message and the pitch that works when you're getting anywhere from, let's call it, you know, one to three percent. Um, lead to demo rate. That's when you know you have something good, and, and you it, they can go higher than that if you make them hyper targeted, hyper personalized. But that's really sort of baseline for when you know you have a message that works. So if you send a hundred emails, you know three people say, "Okay, I'm willing to give you 45 minutes of my time." That's when you know you have a message that works. Yeah, I think those are super good ideas, and I think great ways to test out messaging quite quickly and quite cheaply, and. I think following from this, you spoke earlier about a lot of marketing teams having similar playbooks. And I think most marketing teams in B2B SaaS think online first, or I think in many cases online only, but I know you're also big on offline outdoor campaigns, which means things like billboards, bus ads, and other out of home advertising. So can you tell us about some outdoor campaigns that you've run and some results you've seen from those? Sure. So I'll talk about our most recent campaign, actually. So our most recent campaign, it was called Work Magic, um, because when companies, <laughs> and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not exaggerating here or hyping my own company, uh, although I know I'm a CMO, so I got to give myself a shameless plug. But when companies, you know, see a demo of Rippling of the product, they literally say, wow. Um, and one customer, you know, actually said it's, you know, wow, this is, this is like magic. Um, and so that, that's sort of what inspired the campaign and the campaign touted um, just sort of, you know, those elements of the product that, you know, really blow people away or 
uh, uh, blew people away. Um, and so, you know, for instance, one of the ads said, payroll so powerful, it runs itself with the tagline work magic. Um, one of the creators ended up unexpectedly stealing the show though. Um, you know, I think it was uh, the fifth or sixth creative um, mentioned a competitor in our space called um, Gusto. And all the ad said was outgrowing Gusto, you know, question mark, presto changeo. Um, tagline work magic. And so for context for your listeners, we, we ran that ad because, you know, we were seeing companies on, on Gusto um, telling us that they were, you know, looking at us, coming to us um, <clears throat> because, you know, they had heard that we could support larger companies in, just in terms of our more advanced feature set. And as much as they like Gusto, they were just simply outgrowing them from a functionality perspective. Um, so, you know, we thought that ad was fairly innocent and, and fun, you know, outgrowing Gusto, presto changeo. Um, but I guess uh, Gusto uh, didn't see it in that same light, sent us a cease and desist letter um, claiming that companies, you know, couldn't outgrow Gusto, which, um, you know, didn't pass the laugh test then and, and now. And so our, you know, our general counsel, who I think just are in our DNA at the company, I think we, we are just a, a fairly creative bunch and like to think outside the box. Um, she actually responded to their cease and desist with just a really, uh, you know, lighthearted, humorous poem written in a hambic pentameter. And we ended up actually getting, you know, quite a bit of press because of, you know, the billboard and and our general counsel's legal reply to their cease and desist. And in the end, you know, we actually ended up getting a bunch of demos um, and, and companies coming to us saying, you know, again, they like Gusto, but they've they've just grown a bunch and they need a more advanced uh, system with, with more functionality. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's, again, I think that sort of ad, that campaign is just, is just, it, it made us a little uncomfortable internally to run it. Um, but I think when it comes to marketing in general, if, if you're, if you're, if you're not doing things that are making you uncomfortable, I think, I think you're doing it wrong because you're not, you're not taking a risk. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you have a good campaign when the legal team gets involved. So I think that's a great story. And uh, I think, you know, if, if you're a SaaS marketing team and you're thinking about running outdoor campaigns for the first time, can you talk us through the playbook for running your first outdoor campaign? Yeah. So I, I think the first, uh, you know, I won't run through our playbook, but I'll, I'll give some, I think, general advice that might be helpful. So I think the first question is, is why? So why are you running outdoor? Um, and what I can, what I can, you know, tell everyone listening is that in my experience, you know, outdoor will generate leads, you'll get business from it. Um, but it'll probably never be ROI positive. I mean, outdoor advertising is quite expensive. Um, it's, it's fairly hard to track and attribute, you know, you, it's not, you can't track it like you can Facebook or AdWords. Um, and so if, if you're doing outdoor, I think it's, it's, you know, really a brand building exercise first and foremost, that's why you have to be doing it. And if your CEO, your CFO is, is looking for a positive return on their money, I think, I think you're going to be in, um, for a tough time. And in our case, um, you know, here at Rippling, um, part of the reason, uh, from a brand building perspective, we wanted to do it, um, was to establish, you know, really legitimacy, uh, because we, you know, we handle people's payroll, their benefits, their devices, their security, some of the most sensitive parts of a company. Um, and so, you know, we wanted to do outdoor to help build credibility and legitimacy. So that, that's why we did it. Um, but everyone might have a, you know, a different reason. Um, the, you know, as far as I think our, 
our sort of buying philosophy methodology. Um, I, 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 I follow a few sort of core tenants. Um, so one is I think you don't want to run outdoor for less than 60 days. Um, I, you know, I think outdoor is about repetition. It's about frequency. It's about on your way to work, seeing that same ad a hundred times. And if, you know, you only, you only have it up for 30 days, um, it's, it's just a personal opinion, but I, 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 I think it's too short. Um, then there's the question of well, how much do you buy? And I think a lot of companies make the mistake of just buying, you know, one billboard. Um, they buy one 20, 30,000 billboard, they leave it up for 30 days. And I, again, personal opinion, also mixed a little bit of data. Um, I think that's just lighting your money on fire. Um, I think if you're going to do outdoor, um, you know, you have to, in addition to the frequency, you have to buy enough inventory in it, you know, in a way where the average person in that city is kind of feeling like, man, I'm, I'm seeing these guys everywhere. Um, that's, I think, when messages stick in, people he stick in, uh, in, in people's head. Um, have you ever seen that commercial? Uh, it's an old commercial. Uh, I, I doubt you've seen it now that I'm bringing it up, but it was called Head On. It was a, it was a, a headache remover, and it was literally the stick um, that people would rub on their head to help alleviate their headache. And the commercial was just literally Head On. Uh, I actually, Head On, something about headache, Head On, Head On. But it was literally just a guy repeating head on 15 times. And that was the whole commercial. And that ad was running 24-7. And I, all I can think about was head on. Um, and that's sort of, I think, what you want to be doing with outdoor. Um, whereas if, you know, you just saw that commercial once, some guy saying head on, and you never saw it again, you'd probably never remember it. Um, and then the last sort of piece of advice is, I think, you know, you really want seven words or less. I mean, one word is really ideal. Um, because you want the, the sort of message to be able to be digested in a five second zoom pass in your car and from, you know, 10 miles away as you're zooming down the freeway. Um, I think if you, if you just sort of follow those general rules, you know, I think you'll be in a good place with outdoor, but it's to do that, it's quite expensive. And if you're a small startup, just raising your series A your series C, excuse me, your series, uh, uh, your seed or your series a um you know maybe not the best investment early on because um, because capital is precious at that stage yeah this is really good to hear because i don't think many SaaS marketing teams would consider outdoor campaigns and very few companies i know of have really run them successfully i think drift were probably one of the first i heard who were investing in billboards and sponsoring trams and trolleys and, and other forms of public transport. So really cool to hear your insights and experiences on that. And I think to wrap things up, you mentioned earlier that you're a creative bunch. So as a CMO, how do you actually ensure a culture of creativity within your marketing team? So I think that ultimately comes down to who you hire. Um, you can't, I don't think you can, you can't really teach people creativity. It's just, you know, it's innate. Um, you, you are just sort of, you, you can encourage and sort of teach people how to think outside of the box. But at the end of the day, I think creativity is, is just something, you know, I, look, I'm terrible at math. I can, I can barely do basic addition. Um, but, you know, I think I'm pretty strong on the creative side. Um, so, you know, to hire for that, I think you, 
I look for a, a few things during the interview process. Um, so the, I usually ask a standard set of questions. So the first is, um, you know, what is, you know, at any job, give me one out of the box, you know, creative idea, you know, a problem that you had that you just found a really creative problem or, or solution to. Um, and what I found is that there's only two camps of people. There's camp A, which can barely scrape together one answer. And then there's camp B, which usually can list off three or four examples, right? Um, um, and then, you know, the second thing is to, uh, you know, hopefully look at their portfolio, um, you know, look at their writing, look at their, uh, uh, you, you know, you could do this actually with a marketing operations person, uh, you, all the way to product marketing. Um, you can see in their work, um, you know, creative um, tendencies. Um, and then, you know, the, the, the third thing is usually to, to ask some sort of creative problem solving question to see how people think about a problem. Um, and not even to see if they necessarily get it right, um, but to just see how they go through, um, uh, you know, that creative process of, of solving the problem. Um, that's usually the three things I do. And, and, you know, I think when you look across the team, we do just have creativity out of the box thinking in our DNA. Yeah, that's super good advice. Really practical. And I think that's one very good point about creativity because I think a lot of people immediately associate creativity with wild and wacky ideas. But I think the flip side of creativity is actually coming up with a solution to a problem with very limited resources. So how do you uh, get creative uh, in those situations. So super good advice. And uh, another thing that's quite interesting is that you use creativity pretty well to land a job at Google back in the day, which I remember reading about on Mashable. I think it was around 2010, 11. So can you talk to us about that campaign and how you almost, or did you actually end up with the job at Google? Yeah. Oh man, it was on Mashable. That's how I know I'm old now. It's a, a long <laughs> time ago. Um, so, so yeah, you know, I, I had left my, an advertising firm, uh, in Atlanta. I really wanted to move out to San Francisco to get a job in tech, but as it turns out, no one in San Francisco wants to hire a guy in Atlanta with absolutely no tech marketing experience. Um, and so I tried to get a job for six months, couldn't get a job, couldn't even get an interview, got depressed, and then eventually said, screw it. Um, and I, I did this big marketing campaign to get hired by Google. And essentially it was, it was a multifaceted campaign. Um, I, I did a few things. So first I recorded a video of myself with basically wearing a mustache without pants, um, begging Google for a job. Um, I, you know, for your listeners, you know, you should probably wear pants for your interview. Um, although it worked out quite well for me. Um, the second thing I did was I uh, printed and shipped, it had to be like seven or eight six foot cardboard cutouts of myself without pants and a mustache, holding up uh, the URL to the website um, with the video where I asked Google for a job. Um, I sent that to all their HR departments. I'm sure they were wondering, you know, what the hell that, that giant box was. And then the third thing I did was actually, uh, I hired a propeller plane to fly around their campus with my, with my URL. Um, to the website. Um, <clears throat> fortunately, uh, you know, I actually ended up uh, getting it, to your point in TechCrunch and Mashable and actually ended up landing an interview with Google and a bunch of other companies before the propeller plane ended up flying around their campus. 
Um, so I ended up spending my whole life savings, but I ended up having like, you know, a few thousand left in the bank because I didn't have to send the propeller plane around or around Google's campus. Man, I think this is super good. And we can now move to our closing questions and our fast five challenge. So to wrap things up, I will ask five questions and all you need to do is answer as quickly as possible. So are you ready? I'm ready. All right, let's hold do on, it. I'm, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, now I'm ready. Okay, cool. Question one. What's the one book you would recommend others to read? I'm going to say you have to read them together. Um, Behind the Cloud is the story of Salesforce and, and how they came up um, with all of their marketing. Um, and then the Orange Code, which is uh, the same thing, but for ING Direct. Um, and they're both essentially, you know, the founders recount how they came up with their everything from their mission and positioning to their tagline and advertising campaigns. Um, and I think it's just both are great case studies on the fundamentals of marketing and how to think outside the box. Yeah, absolutely. Good recommendations. Second question, a SaaS company you love and why? Um, MailChimp. Uh, I've always really admired them because, you know, they know exactly who they are and what their brand stands for. And they are, just, I think, completely fearless and unafraid to take creative risks. Um, you know, if you Google, I think it was a male shrimp, male a kale limp campaign. I actually hated the campaign, um, <laughs> but I, I still remember it to this day because it was just so weird and so out there. And I think most B2B or, yeah, and they're also B2C SaaS companies don't take those kind of creative risks. Yeah, definitely. Third question, favorite place to read about marketing online? Um, I don't read any blogs or follow any thought leaders. Um, I, I just like to keep an eye on what other companies are doing on real time, check out their websites, TV commercials, Facebook ads, um, you know, just seeing what people are doing all the time. Cool. Fourth question, most important growth metric. I mean, there's not one, uh, I'm going to have to say three qualified sales opportunities by channel. Um, CAC. So, you know, you can understand if you're spending a dollar and getting $2 back um, and then NPS, because if you're generating a ton of business and you have a crappy product, um, great marketing only makes a bad product die faster. Sound advice. And fifth and final question, best piece of advice for fellow marketers? Uh, zig while everyone else is zagging. Nice. Well, Matt, I have to say this was super good. And thank you so much for coming on the Growthful Podcast. Yeah. Thanks a lot. I, I, I hope this was semi-useful for, for everyone listening. That was Matt Epstein on why SaaS marketing is broken and how you can get more creative. Now, as ever, if you have any thoughts or feedback, then you're always welcome to reach out to me on Twitter at Nordic Edward or connect on LinkedIn. So thank you so much for listening to the Growth Podcast brought to you by Growth Marketing Agency Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off and make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different things.